TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. The Secret Side of Free Trade Archives, Ralph Nader in 1994, TUC Radio's 30th Anniversary Celebration. Looking back over the last three decades and trying to understand the heating of the climate and the melting glaciers and the poisoning of all waters and the air and the mining of soil and forests and lands that has so accelerated during that same generation. I always wondered how to explain and who and what to blame. And when hard-pressed to put it all into one sentence, I used to say that the world's largest corporations rewrote the rules of international globalized trade that accelerated mining and manufacturing and transport and fuel extraction and led to climate collapse and concentrated power in very few hands. In the early 1990s, I connected with the IFG, the International Forum on Globalization. They pointed out that globalization actually began during the Reagan administration, and came up with an analysis and critique of the cultural, social, political, and environmental impacts of such economic globalization project. At the IFG, I met some extraordinary activists, economists, scholars, and researchers, among them Ralph Nader, who has never stopped his fight against corporate power, and who I still follow 30 years later in 2022 on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Here's how I introduced him in 1994, both of us with much younger voices. This is TUC Radio San Francisco, The Secret Side of Free Trade, Part 5. Ralph Nader, Public Citizen's Challenge to GATT. The Secret Side of Free Trade is a 13-part series dealing with the impact of giant trade agreements like NAFTA and GATT on our daily life and the future of our countries. Few public figures have received as much affection and trust as Ralph Nader, consumer advocate and informal presidential candidate in the recent U.S. elections. He founded in 1971 Public Citizen, a Washington, D.C.-based citizens' lobby, that fights for consumer rights, safe food and products, a healthy environment and workplace, and clean and safe energy. Time and time again, Nader and the staff at Public Citizen have come to loggerheads in campaigns and in the courts with large corporations over the issues of corporate accountability in all these areas. Currently, Public Citizen with Ralph Nader is the primary citizens' organization working against the ratification of GATT. The GATT trade agreement will come before the participant governments in over 120 countries by the end of this year. Public Citizen has defined four major reasons to oppose the GATT and the new World Trade Organization that it will create. Number one. The GATT may challenge and repeal any member country's internal health, labor, and environmental law if they pose a, quote, barrier to trade. Number two, the GATT has set up new low standards on pesticides and cancer-causing additives on food that all members must adopt. Number three, environmental laws regarding clean air, hazardous waste, 
and forest preservation, to give just a few examples, may be challenged as barriers to trade. Number four, the GATT effectively limits any member country's ability to define its economic policy. Ralph Nader addresses all these issues in the following interview beginning with the environment. Ralph Nader. Right now, environmental policy is set in our country at the local, state, and federal levels of government. Under these uh, proposed trade agreements, the decision will be increasingly be made outside the country by private tribunals under the GATT or NAFTA arrangements. They will be made without any of our democratic rights. We won't be able to elect these people. We won't be able to diselect them. We won't be able to get freedom of information rights. We won't be able to take them to court. We won't be able to participate in the proposed draft of these uh, decisions in any way uh, whatsoever. So what happens is that when our country and other countries uh, enter into these trade agreements and Congress uh, approves them, we will be creating an autocratic structure of these trade agreements and their bureaucracies over our democratic society in the United States. So that someone in California wants to get a tough recycling bill in, in uh, their hometown or at the state level, that can be overruled by these trade agreements because the recycling measure in California would be considered a non-tariff trade barrier and therefore subject to either repeal or we will be in violation of the treaty and other countries will be able to retaliate against us. All over the country, there's a bubbling up of citizen activity dealing with the environment. People want solar energy instead of fossil fuels, or people want uh, recycling, or people want to uh, clean up uh, toxic waste dumps uh, in a way that prevents certain chemicals from being dumped there. People want substitution of materials. Uh, they want safer, biodegradable, environmentally benign materials instead of others that happen to be sold in greater numbers uh, worldwide. These decisions should be made at the local, state, and national level. It's hard enough when people at their local communities have to defer to the state government or the state government has to defer to the federal government, but it's quite another order of democratic surrender to defer to trade agreement bureaucracies uh, where the decisions are made by unelected, secretive members of tribunals in Geneva, Rome, or elsewhere. One can be properly suspicious of the intent of these treaties by the process by which they were negotiated. They were negotiated in secrecy. They were negotiated with special access to corporate representatives. Citizen groups were excluded. They had no formal advisory rule as citizens or as workers, consumers, or communities. The corporations, of course, had formal advisory access to these negotiations. They saw the drafts and they came back and forth with the various government representatives. And all of this secrecy is just the preliminary blueprint uh, for a supra-imposed bureaucratic regime over our uh, democratic processes in our country that will strip uh, people, citizens, of even more control over their government. And now people in Albuquerque or Butte, Montana or Chicago, Illinois, who want to have recycling standards, who want to push for safer food, who want to push for pollution controls, who want to exclude certain chemicals from the marketplace, who want to press for safer cars, uh, will uh, hear from their Washington representatives and from corporate lobbyists, well, but the Japanese won't stand for it. 
or the Germans won't stand for it, or the Italians or the French won't stand for it. And you say, what do you mean they won't stand for it? This is America. We can do what we want in this country. And they'll say, but you don't understand. Your government has signed on to these treaties, and these treaties now are federal law. And whatever these treaties say can override what you do at your local community and your local state action level. So what we're seeing here is a, a very substantial risk of surrendering uh, to global corporate and governmental bureaucracies under these trade agreements a great deal of the rights and remedies and uh, freedom of information that we have fought so hard for in the last 25 years to obtain. For example, if our country passes a law saying uh, that um, exporting hazardous waste to foreign countries uh, is going to be prohibited, under the proposed trade agreements, this may be considered an interference with international trade and the trade agreement prevails over any future attempt to uh, try to uh, change it unless we can change the treaty. And it's very difficult to change the treaty because there are uh, over 100 nations signatory to it, or in the Mexican-Canadian uh, situation, three nations signatory to it. And you can say goodbye to any kind of flexibility in that respect. It's said very often that these trade agreements are really a way of, of helping the poor people in other countries rise to our uh, standard of living, and that uh, as we assist them in their economic growth, they're going to get richer, and then uh, as people get richer, they're going to work in behalf of the environment, and this is why uh, these trade agreements are a good thing. I wonder if you agree with that. Historically, trade agreements between powerful countries and weaker countries have been to the disadvantage of the weaker countries. Uh, such as those in the third world. In fact, the debate over the last 25 years in the third world has been over the bad terms of trade of prior trade agreements. Now comes a real a gigantic uh, trade agreement which will, in effect, give more power to the powerful so that if our highly mechanized corn growers can uh, sell corn into Mexico, what happens to the 700,000 corn farmers in Mexico uh, who can't compete? They'll be thrown off their land. There'll be rural dispossession. Uh, they'll pour into the cities, and we'll have serious chaos. People in India who have studied these proposed uh, trade agreements are very concerned about the kind of traumatic impact upon rural uh, farmers in India as well. And of course, to fight back, what do they have to do? They have to import foreign agribusiness firms. They have to go highly capitalized, energy-intensive agriculture. They have to expose their uh, lands to strip mining processes of that sort. They have to adopt uh, pell-mell uh, biotechnology applications that may not be proper for them. Uh, so when I hear that these trade agreements are going to benefit the third world, I say to myself, the historical evidence is against that, number one. And number two, the main determinants of these trade agreements uh, are the global uh, corporations, mostly from Japan and the Western countries, who have not been known to be so solicitous of the health, safety, and economic needs of billions of people in the third world. The way these international trade agreements work is that they set up international safety standards that are almost always uh, at the lower common denominator level, so that the existing international food standards permit far higher levels of pesticides in foods than U.S. law permits. It permits uh, far higher amounts of uh, additives than U.S. law permits. And as a result, we will have to 
go down to weaker levels of consumer protection or be considered uh, violating these treaties by setting up tougher standards than the treaties provide for and therefore be accused of erecting trade barriers uh, in violation of the treaty. Consumer groups have enough problems dealing with corporate lobbyists in Washington and stubborn politicians without being told that the decisions are going to increasingly be made by other countries, by other officials, by other lobbies that have no accountability or disclosure uh, in this country. That's what these trade agreements really mean. They establish a governing system over our federal system and our constitutional system that can make a mockery out of the self-determination and the self-initiative of policymaking in our country as we've known it in the past. Well, these trade uh, agreements are heavily drafted by giant corporations like the Siemens Corporation, Imperial Chemical, the food industry giants, the pharmaceutical companies, the auto companies, the chemical companies. They're there where the government representatives are drafting them at luxurious hotels. They're in the corridors. They're often as part of informal advisory committees. Obviously, they want these trade agreements to protect the vested interests of giant corporations, which are not often the same as the interests of workers, communities, and consumers. The global corporations always benefit when they can drive one country's wage standards or environmental standards or consumer standards down to lower common denominators of other countries. Uh, playing off one country against another uh, by corporations is old hat. They've done it in this country, playing off Massachusetts against Mississippi in the textile uh, industry, for example. As a result, signing on to these agreements means that we will be vulnerable to downward pulls. We will be vulnerable to the sweet talk slogan uh, that is called harmonization. But it's harmonization downward, where our wage levels, our environmental, consumer, and other protections are pulled downward because it's just cheaper and easier to be polluting to operate in other countries. And these companies will say, well, if you can't go down to the Brazilian level or the Malaysian level or the French level in this area, we're going to uh, go abroad. So these trade agreements set up an enforcement mechanism that makes us less and less able to say to these companies, go abroad. You're not going to sell back in this country if you play that game. It makes us much more vulnerable to the sanctions under the agreements and puts another layer of global corporate lobbying on the backs of citizen groups in this country who already have their hands full with domestic uh, vested interests. Do you think we're looking forward to a new kind of world government here? These trade agreements establish an economic government dominated by giant corporations over the world, but they don't establish a democracy of rule of law to hold this economic government accountable. And that really is what is being obscured in this debate, and that is what is not being discussed. It's one thing to have the Fortune 200 with the European and Japanese global corporations with them, ruling the, uh, the, the seven seas in the area of the marketplace, which affects workers, environment, and consumers. It's quite another thing for this rule not to have democratic accountabilities to the people that they may, on more than one occasion, abuse. What about the point that um, these trade agreements will bring us a greater variety of goods and uh, 
cheaper goods here in this country. Well, these trade agreements will allow a greater variety of products to come in and out of this country. The problem is that a lot of these products are toxic substances. A lot of these products are destructive technologies in other lands. A lot of these products are hazardous. We have usually safeguarded ourselves against these products by setting national safety standards in our country which say, oh, you want to import these toys from the Orient, they've got to meet certain safety standards. You want to import automobiles from Europe and Japan, they've got to meet our safety standards. But when these trade agreements are in place, it's no longer our safety standards. It's their safety standards. And those safety standards are usually low common denominator safety standards that are much weaker than our safety standard. I have never heard of a trade agreement bureaucracy uh, through its tribunals ever say to a country, your labor standards are too low and they are a non-tariff trade barrier. Your safety standards for food and automobiles and the air you breathe are too weak and therefore they are non-tariff uh, trade barriers. The bias is always to weaken the standards through these trade agreements, not to uplift these standards to higher levels, at least to the highest level of the prevailing country. Canada and the United States are fairly similar economies. They signed a trade agreement in 1988 called the Canadian-U.S. Trade Agreement. And here's how these other trade agreements are going to work, only worse. Canada wants to sell us asbestos. Our government has phased out asbestos over the next few years because it's too dangerous and it's been the cause of too many deaths and injuries in the last 50 years. Canada is suing the United States in federal court saying that our ban on asbestos is not for the safety purposes. It, it is a non-tariff trade barrier designed to keep out Canadian asbestos from U.S. markets. In return, our corporations are suing in Canada under the Canadian-U.S. trade agreement saying that incentives that the Canadian government has given polluters to reduce acid rain is really not to uh, improve the health uh, of uh, the respiratory system in, in Canada. It's basically to keep out American coal or American fossil fuels and therefore is a non-tariff trade barrier violative uh, of the statute. Uh, Canadian uh, uh, consumers are now uh, uh, buying uh, American food exports with levels of pesticides that are illegal in Canada. But under the trade agreement, that product goes north. Canadian meat exports to the United States, especially through places like Montana, are coming in with virtually no uh, meat inspection. And the results have not been very taste-worthy. These are just illustrations uh, on a minor scale of what's going to happen uh, if the GATT revisions with over 100 countries signing on uh, start working their will and grinding their power into our political economy and democratic decision making. Another example of how our democratic sovereignty may be eroded uh, is seen in the European community's reports on our trade barriers. Here's what they consider trade barriers, our state recycling laws our Nutrition and Education Labeling Act, our fuel efficiency regulations for motor vehicles. These are considered by the European community as trade barriers and under the proposed trade agreements, 
would be considered violations subject to retaliation by other countries. Now imagine, it's hard enough to get the auto companies in Michigan to apply long-known technology to make their automobiles more fuel-efficient and less polluting without also having to worry about some powerful bureaucracy in Geneva, Switzerland, backed by vested interests in foreign countries who say to us, you can't set these uh, tougher standards in your country because the trade agreement that your president and Congress uh, accepted uh, make that impossible. Some states, such as Washington and Oregon, have banned the export abroad of raw logs. They want to preserve some of their forests. They want to keep some of these logs going into uh, domestic uh, lumber mills to create more jobs, and they don't want to export uh, their natural resource. Under the proposed trade agreements, Japan uh, and Taiwan and other countries who received these raw logs in the past can say, you can't ban the export of raw logs. That's a trade barrier violating the international agreement that you signed. Just another example of many examples of how if we don't wake up to these monstrous complications and consequences of these proposed trade agreements, we will be surrendering so much of what we fought to obtain, so much of our democracy, so much of our rights to determine our future here in our country and help other countries less fortunate to lift their standards up to our level rather than let our standards be dragged down to their level. Here's what citizens should start doing regarding these trade agreements that are being proposed to the Congress. First, they've got to contact their members of Congress and ask them for all the materials that they think are relevant for citizens to discuss back home individually with their families and with their communities to make up their minds and indicate to their representatives how they think they should vote. Second, uh, what we need to do is, is, is get the local media to have more talk shows, more discussions. We need the citizen groups to have more uh, community forums so that we really uh, discuss this from the ground up and the various regions of the country discuss it in terms of their own particular vulnerabilities to these treaties, whether they're mining areas or textile areas or uh, highly polluted areas or depressed areas. Uh, they all have various uh, approaches uh, to try to understand and, and uh, respond to these treaty proposals. For our government to secretly negotiate these treaties, to take their sweet time to disclose the details of the treaties, to continually not disclose the backup materials and files to these uh, treaties, and then to ram it through Congress uh, in a very few uh, weeks on an up or down vote without your representatives and senators being able to amend uh, these agreements to reject the bad and approve the good are the telltale signs uh, that these treaties represent very, very nefarious motivations by the global corporate powers who inspire almost every paragraph of those treaties. That was Ralph Nader, consumer advocate and founder of Public Citizen in Washington, D.C., interviewed by Elizabeth Garsonen and Jerry Mander. Trade agreements aren't just about trade anymore. They challenge many existing domestic laws, including laws that currently create programs and set standards for health and safety of the people and for the environment. The GATT and the World Trade Organization that it attempts to create is the greatest challenge to consumer and environmental standards in this decade. 
Ralph Nader and Public Citizen have defined the problem at the core of the GATT, the new supranational agency, the World Trade Organization, has tribunals for trade dispute resolution made up of three unelected bureaucrats who meet in secret, whose records are not made public, but whose decisions become binding within a set number of days unless every one of the over 120 members votes to stop the ruling. Sanctions against the country that refuses to change its laws also automatically begin unless, again, all other GATT members vote not to begin retaliation. Many U.S. laws are already on the list for possible challenge, since the new international standards set by the GATT are so low. This is the most serious challenge to the power of people in their own countries to determine their health, food, and labor safety laws. In fact, This is defined as an attack on democracy itself. You're listening to Ralph Nader on TUC Radio's 30th anniversary celebration on an archival program on the secret side of free trade. This is also a celebration of the IFG, the International Forum on Globalization. I met and recorded extraordinary people, among them Vanana Shiva and Maud Barlow, Victoria Tauli Corpus, Martin Kaur, and Walden Bellow, and many more at their planning meetings and public events. During that time, I also reached out to people outside the IFG who were critics of globalization. And here's a short excerpt by Noam Chomsky. One of the most eloquent speakers on this issue is Noam Chomsky, political scientist, author, and professor of linguistics at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. In April of 1994, he gave a speech entitled The New World Order, Inc., The Global Economy and the Demise of Democracy. Noam Chomsky. It's generally assumed that uh, democracy and free markets sort of go together and that in the New World Order, uh, the United States is committed to promoting these values. The real world, in my opinion, is quite different. Uh, democracy and markets are very loosely related and often inconsistent. U.S. policy has rather regularly tended to uh, undermine both democracy and markets, and still does. Uh, any powerful institution or structure uh, will certainly not want willingly to submit either to market discipline or to uh, popular control. They're called free trade, movements toward free trade, but that's not really true. You can see it in part by simply looking at what's called trade these days. Uh, trade, you know, had a certain meaning, but it has a different meaning today. Uh, take, say, the U.S. and Mexico, uh, NAFTA and the Free Trade Agreement. Uh, over half of U.S. exports to Mexico do not enter the Mexican market at all. They're simply transferred from one branch of a U.S.-based corporation to another branch of the same corporation. They happen to be transferred across the border because you can get much cheaper and much more highly exploited labor, uh, and you don't have to worry about working conditions, and you don't have to worry about pollution and so on. So it's better to transfer that across the border and then move it back. But there's no meaningful sense in which that's trade. 
You heard a celebration of TUC Radio's 30th anniversary with an archival rebroadcast from a timeless program that I produced in 1994. The Secret Side of Free Trade with Ralph Nader and Noam Chomsky on the new global trade order and the demise of democracy. Come back for more secrets when TUC Radio returns. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. My name is Maria Geleiden. Thank you for listening. <laughs>